Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, a quick intro here to this week's podcast. I was asked by Mr. Jeb Bashaw, who is a multi-generational Texan and a native Houstonian, to have me on his podcast. He's had a podcast for about a year or so. And as a Texan, Jeb gives his very own personal opinion of the world and how things are going, ranging from family, business, politics, religion. And so he had been after me for several weeks to come and do a podcast episode with him. And so finally, this past Friday, we were able to connect and spent about 45 minutes together doing his podcast where he asked me questions about myself, my past family growing up, and practice we have in liver disease and my views on health and wellness and, uh, of course, liver disease and uh, the state of uh, the medical system in general. So it's a very nice podcast, and I, I thought very much worthwhile to share with all of you that follow my podcast. So check it out. We're very happy with it. And, of course, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to our links. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and our web websites and be in touch and inspire yourselves to stay in touch with wellness and your nutrition and your weight and all of that good stuff to have long, healthy, happy, and productive lives. All right. So enjoy the podcast and uh, uh, stay in touch. Thanks very much. To a Texan's view of the world with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Well, good afternoon. My name is Jeb Bashaw. This is a Texan's view of the world, and we are joined today in the studio by Dr. Joe Galati and his beautiful wife, Geraldine, uh, who may or may not be speaking, but she's probably kicking both of us. And uh, delighted to have you, Joe. Welcome. Jeb, it's always great to be around and uh, contribute to the podcast and help out your. You're following. Thank you very much. Well, Joe is actually the reason I'm in the podcast business. He has been a successful podcaster as well as a radio host and a book author and done all kinds of things. And while I could literally spend 30 minutes talking about all Joe's accomplishments, because he really is a true renaissance man. He's not just a fabulous doctor, but fabulous husband and dad and contributor. And But my favorite story is uh, Joe and I originally met years ago in a group called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, and we had a meeting every month, and about eight CEOs and very disparate 
uh, folks. I guess we had a guy from software. We had a guy that was in the diesel business. We had a guy installed uh, floors and carpeting, (laughs) blinds. uh. (laughs) So no two guys in the same industry. And so we would meet for four hours a month or maybe longer than that, but four hours every month. And this is my favorite story. So Joe and Joe was always Joe was always punctual. So unlike a lot of doctors, he was always there on time. But he walked in about five minutes before the meeting started. And we were all at one end of the table having breakfast. And he said, "What are y'all talking about?" And we kind of nodded at him. Said, "Oh, you wouldn't be interested." And he goes, "No, I'm, I'm interested. Let's tell me what you're talking about." And we said, "Well, we're talking about how to lose weight." And he goes, "Yeah." That's probably good. We got a doctor in the group. Let's don't ask him his opinion. Let's talk to the flooring guy and the software guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I see patients of mine out in out and about, and I'll never forget. Probably about eight ten years ago, I ran into a patient of mine at an Astros game, and he had a drink in his hand. Now, being a liver specialist, is that connection with alcoholic <laughs> liver disease? And I, he almost spilled a drink and fell when he saw me. <laughs> and he says, no, there's ice in here. There's no alcohol. And I said, it's, look, I didn't see you. You're out with your family. Don't no. worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I think people probably do get a little nervous. I ran into Dr. Kandera, another friend of ours the other day, who's a uh, cardiologist, my cardiologist. And I just ordered... Um, queso and uh, chips, and I thought, yeah. I, I wonder if he thinks that's very heart healthy, but uh, that's a great segue. Joe actually wrote a book a couple of years ago right. um, entitled... Eating Yourself Sick. And Joe came out and talked to our clients and friends about it, and um, it really is amazing, Joe. I mean, um, the topic we're going to talk about today is finances and how good health can impact mm-hmm. or bad health can impact, but I do want to talk about the book, and I thought what I thought was so fascinating um, was how much our diets have changed generationally, and you really do a great job talking about that. Well, you know, coming up with the title was a little bit more difficult than than I had thought, and actually Geraldine was the one that came up with the title, and when we say eating yourself sick, a lot of people look at that and, and they would say, oh, that's sort of a downer kind of title. It's not too uplifting, but it really is the truth. And when you look at the chronic disease that we're all afflicted by, be it high blood pressure, diabetes, kidney disease, stroke, cancer, it, it absolutely dials back to your diet. And so nobody is forcing you to eat or overeat. French fries, junk food, uh, but that is the truth. We are, as a culture and generally, generationally, we're getting away from eating at home, cooking at home, eating together as a family, and there is a direct connection where as we are eating out more, as we are gaining weight, cancer rates are going up, heart disease is going up, diabetes is going up, and the end result is that our life expectancy is going down. And so to have anybody say that eating and uh, lack of good eating is not tied to our happiness and our survival is just not really looking at the details here. And it really, it, it, amen. And I'll tell you, I, I would just, uh, my last podcast, I just, it was about flying and I was lamenting about what people wear on airplanes and um, <laughs> They don't really get dressed up like we did when we were kids. Uh, but it's, again, generationally. I mean, I, 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 I worry about, I see, you know, people in their 20s and 30s who are so overweight. Right. Uh, and those things are not going to get better with time. And they're not going to change their eating habits. And so my question is, do you think we have changed because 
for lack of a better word, we're in a busier society of double income families working. And so there's less time for food prep and all that stuff. And, and I mean, you're right. I used to sit, we'd, we'd have dinner with mm-hmm. our family at home and right. that, and you were, you know, whether or not you ate or not, you were going to sit there till everybody finished. So it was actually socially a great opportunity and talk about how your day was. And I just think we've gotten away from all. Well, that. It, it, depending on how you want to look at this, uh, a pivotal moment in American society was the development of the the latchkey kid, right? right sure. Is that the right term? Sure. Where there was a dad, assuming there was a dad, that was working. Mom was now working, and so the kids came home, let themselves in, and a little note was left for them. Hey, heat this up. There's some food there. Mom's going to be late. Dad's going to be late. Just feed yourself. Uh, warm something up for your, your brothers. Uh, kids are not exercising as much. Stay in. They're concerned about their security or getting lost or kidnapped. And so that very uh, change in society where mom went back to work for whatever reason, whether it was financial or uh, divorce, single parent, just created a lot of unintended consequences. And that's where around the mid-70s is where obesity started to go up. And the other thing really is, uh, Jeb, that I I like to talk about, the number of products in a grocery store (laughs) has gone up by a factor of almost 10. Wow. Because uh, there's more processed food, more ready-to-eat meals. And if that is flooding the market then it's squeezing out all of the fresh stuff to make it home. You don't need to cook. You could just heat something up, and sure. that's that's leading to all of this. Well, it's funny. I saw a funny, you know, I'm pretty active on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw a funny meme the other day, and they were talking about the proliferation of charcuterie boards. Yeah. And the joke was, well, if you have an entire generation that was raised on snack packs, charcuterie boards are just a glorified snack pack for yeah. older people. And, you know, I, uh, I'm i very blessed. As you know, Laurel had her own catering company, and she tries she tries to prepare food that's, you know, I, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to lie to you. I'm not going to start eating kale at any time soon. Right. But uh, she does prepare, you know, meals with fresh vegetables and all the things you talk about in your book. And anybody that will talk about how to reach you and later, but... You you do such a great job of talking about it. those things aren't that hard to do. I mean, you, they're you, but you know, like you said, now you have to pack through ten thousand other items to find them in a grocery store because it's so easy, right? Just to go through and buy a thing of triscuits and a thing of cheese whiz, and, and you you think you're out the door, right? You're yeah, out the door. And and I I get all of my marketing research or my ideas by just talking to my patients. Mm-hmm. It is a great opportunity every day to talk to fifteen twenty different people from all walks of life with different kinds of problems and listen to them, ask them questions, and it, it's quite in, insightful. But the major issue here, Jeb, and it just I just shake my head, they do not cook at home because it is too much work. Mm-hmm. They don't want a dirty kitchen. They have to shop. And then they'll say, well, it's just me and my husband mm-hmm. or me and my, or it's me alone. And so because of that, they don't cook at home. And so they come up with all of these different excuses. But when they're sitting here looking at me and they have serious liver disease or cirrhosis, I would say, is any of this scary to you? Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of the times they're almost numb to the idea that they have a serious illness and they will continue along their 
their way and, and really not change behavior. Right. Well, one of the challenges, by the way, of doing this uh, podcast is that we're such good friends. So I forgot to tell you about Tell you about what you actually do in your real life besides being my friend. So, so I am a hepatologist, which is someone that takes care of patients with liver disease. And it's a super specialty of gastroenterology. So in the training, I started off with internal medicine and then did gastroenterology, and then on top of that, hepatology and training in uh, liver transplant, which I did out at University of Nebraska. So liver disease is everything from any abnormality of your liver chemistries on your blood work, all the way down to cirrhosis and liver cancer, and all sorts of uh, different viral diseases, autoimmune, and metabolic type things that we're born with. And of course, today, the number one disease we're seeing is something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease directly related to obesity and what we're, what we're eating. And, and talk about the incidence of that as a percentage of the population. Well, somewhere around 65% of the people have <laughs> a fatty liver. And that number just continues to increase. And out of that 65%, which is millions upon millions of people, somewhere around... 15 to 20% may progress to cirrhosis and liver cancer. And so today, which again, it's, it's just hard to believe over the last 25, 30 years that I've been doing this, the number one disease leading to cirrhosis is fatty liver. It's not alcohol. A lot of people think alcohol That's what I was going to ask you. I think that's yeah. the suggestion. People think, oh, well, he's an alcoholic. He's, well, but you, yeah. can, you can get cirrhosis even yeah, if you 50, never had a drink. Only, only about 50% of the cases of cirrhosis are alcohol-related. So the wow. other 50% is all of this other stuff. And uh, fatty liver is the number one disease. Uh, since I'm in transplantation, fatty liver is the number one disease leading to cirrhosis that we're transplanting. Wow. And fatty liver is the leading cause of liver cancer. Hmm. So these are three bad things that are all coming from a fatty liver, backing it up related to what we're eating or what we're not eating. Crazy. Well, interesting. And by the way, I hope, are your dad doing okay? Uh, he is. He uh 96, soon to be 97 in November. He had COVID. Right. And luckily, he was vaccinated, and I could only think that the vaccination really tempered the infection. And uh, he stayed home the whole time and uh, is doing okay. Good, which that's another a great, you know, I mean, he's got his father lived 96 years. That tells you what a great doctor he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the diet, Deb. It's olive oil. <laughs> it's olive oil, olive oil and eggplant. Absolutely. Um, well, and, and I want to, and I did, did, definitely want to ask about your dad, but... Uh, I think we hear so much about COVID right now when the, the silent killer may very well be fatty liver disease because of the number of people it's going to affect over a much longer period of time. And I guess this is a good segue to talk about what we, we've been talking about for some time, and that is, you know, there's this idea about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you can't pursue happiness if you don't have life and liberty. Right. And I'm not going to get into all the other stuff about liberty. liberty part. Well, not the liberty part, but I will talk about the life part. And the answer is... You know, there's some things worse than dying too young, like living too long, particularly if you're in poor health. And so talk right. about, you know, not only how it affects your health, but also, as you know, I'm and, and Joe is a dear friend, you know, I'm in the finance business. And so we have all these people planning for their future, putting away money for retirement. Well, what kind of retirement are you going to have if you can't walk from the bedroom to the kitchen yeah. without having to stop for oxygen because your your health is so yeah. poor? And, and, I, and I think the mentality, if you look at the go-getters out there, the entrepreneurs, the, the small or large business owners, uh, the people that are leading the charge economically in this country, 
they're working hard, they're doing well, they're employing people, they're enjoying life, they're making money, but at some time, they're looking for that exit or to slow down and enjoy the the fruit of their labor. And the saddest thing, Jeb, and this is what we, we talk about all the time, people will come in, and you don't have to be 75, 80 years old and thinking about retiring. We're talking about 45, 50-year-olds right. that are coming to see me with chronic liver disease. They have heart disease that is about to tip over and cause them great trouble. And you you sit with them, and they have a lovely family. They are very well respected in the community. They give back. And the conversation is, if you do not change what is going on here, you're going to become chronically ill. And instead of spending time fishing with your kids, you're going to be spending time with me. Right. And that's not a great option. <laughs> I'd, I'd enjoy as clever it. as you are and fun, yeah. but you're not going to run it back no, to your pizza. What a, what to a the drag. Pizza. What a drag. <laughs> In your backyard. Uh, and, and so this is, it, and it happens more than most would believe that these relatively young, successful, super smart people are struggling with chronic disease. And until it hits them. And that's the part. We sort of live in this very short-sighted world where we don't have the ability to project too far forward to say, what's three years going to look like? What's five years going to look like? And uh, they're stricken with something bad and everything goes up in smoke, everything they work for. And so I try to impact what I can. You're certainly on the financial side working with them and planning, but you have to include your healthcare planning and are all of these other health-related things being addressed? Just like, you know, you're looking at how much they're spending, what's their income, what are their investments, is are we doing all the right things? Mm -hmm. You then have to ask, are you doing all the right things from a health and wellness standpoint? Uh, because if not, it's just as bad as somebody taking their entire uh, account and and blowing it on something right. not too worthwhile. You know, absolutely. Well, uh, interesting you say that because one of the things I've been thinking about uh, as we've had this discussion about sure. how it can impact your finances is that's exactly it. I mean, the reality is as you get older, your portfolio changes. Um, you do things you maybe take less risk because, you know, you're getting closer to the finish line. Well, I got to believe in the health business. That's the same way. I mean, I can't eat like I did when I was 25 or 35, 45, right. and you're going to probably be sick when I tell you this story. But there was a time in my life where I would go buy, you know, six donuts on Saturday morning, and the kids would have one each, and I'd eat four. Well, if I right. eat four donuts today, I'd either be in a coma or, you know, probably. And, and so I, and so Laura and I talk about this. There are many times, and, and maybe because of your uh, involvement, you know, we'll go split an, a meal at a at a restaurant right. where we used to always order our own our own appetizer our own meal well that's so much food and and of course i'm sure it's because we're aging and maybe we're eating less but frankly we should never been eating like that probably in the first place i mean you well and and, 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 you know because we're catholic we joke about that your mother always so eat everything on your plate right okay i'll eat everything on my plate well that's not you know the date today the portion size (laughs) at some of these restaurants that's nuts i mean you shouldn't be eating everything well you know we're we're i look at it that we are surrounded by things that will make us fail. Okay, there's nothing out there that's setting us up for success on a health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So if we if we stick to the theme of eating yourself sick, the portions are gigantic. Mm-hmm. And even whether you're you're struggling financially or you've got all the money in the world, 
you're looking for a bargain. Mm-hmm. And and you may say, oh, I went to this restaurant and the food was good. A lot of the times you're going to say, man, the portions were big and the steaks <laughs> were big. It's like, okay, that's nice, but that's that's contributing to your mm-hmm. you know hypertension. But um, so there is the availability of food everywhere. I mean, when I was a kid growing up on Long Island, the occasional time we would go to a McDonald's, we had to drive 20 <laughs> minutes to go there. Now you could just roll out the sure. front door and, and find uh, 14 different fast food places. So the availability is there. The cost of food in many respects has gone down. Mm-hmm. We said earlier that the, avail- the, the, the selection is gigantic. You have nothing to want for. Right. It's, it's, it's all there. And so all of these things are contributing to it. And at the same time, uh, the size of the produce section of your local grocery store has really not gotten gotten too much bigger. Correct. No, that's exactly right. And it's uh, funny you said that because I was just thinking about that when you were talking about it. When I was in college back in uh, the Middle Ages, uh, yeah. in the in the late seventies, early eighties. You could get two tacos for 99 cents at Jack in the Box. Well, guess what? <laughs> 50 years later, 40 years later, you can still get two tacos. So yeah. you know, we talk about it. Why do they do that? Because they make all their money on the drink. I oh, mean, they yeah. get $2.79 for a medium drink, and they got $0.10 cents worth of cost in it. Well, they'll give you all the tacos you want to wash that, you know, <laughs> as long as you'll wash it down with a Diet Coke. Right. And, um, and, and I do uh, – you're exactly right. I do think – there's so many choices. Most of them are bad. There's, right. You know, you don't, you know, in fact, I, I, there was another place that was doing, was it Snap It? Do you remember that? Um, it was kind of, in theory, it was going to be a high uh, fiber, high uh, quality food place where you could go in, pick up a, a meal. Well, shoot, those things all went out of business. Nobody right. nobody wants that. Yeah. You know, they want a good Chick-fil-A or... Yeah, they it's not sexy. To, right, exactly. So, well, I, I think that's exactly right. I, I, I watch it, you know, as I said, Laurel's great about it and... Um, in fact, she's she's if weren't, probably will keep me young just because I got to keep up yeah. with her. But you know, exercise, just regular exercise. You know, we all park next to our front door now. I mean, right. in the old days, you know, you park away from your office or walk three blocks. I remember paying for parking downtown, two hundred fifty bucks a month, and that was if I could get it within ten blocks of my right. office. Well, nowadays people pull right up. They're not just basic small things, and and that's one of the things you talk about. This isn't you're not talking about making. I mean, in in, in the end, hopefully you make. Wholesale changes, but you're not talking about wrecking your whole life, as you know. You're saying take baby steps and do little oh, sure. things at a time to improve the quality of your your food and also your lifestyle. Yeah, if you want to fail, to go home tonight and say, "Honey, we're not going out to eat anymore, and and we're going to cook at home." Uh, that may last a, a, a few nights, but you have to look at it to say, first of all, start with the little things. We are going to eat as a family, whether it's Two people or six people. We're going to try to eat as a family. Number two, make one particular night per week a dinner night where you try to get the buy-in from everybody that will select, okay, what two or three vegetables do you want? Who likes cauliflower? Who likes string beans? And you, you try to be democratic there. And then, of course, we have to, on on the preparation, a little bit of planning. You could meal prep some of your vegetables or get the meat out and and if you're going to marinate it the night before, whatever you may need to do, but also get others in the family to buy in that it's not just you that's stuck to make dinner and then it's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Get everybody to help out. 
And then from there, realize that you survived, that you actually <laughs> ate together. And then say, okay, if it's Tuesday night, let's do it Thursday night, or let's do it one night over the weekend. And slowly uh, and gradually back into this. And the other thing is there's so many resources online for getting recipes and how to cook. Uh, it, it does not have to be simply boiled chicken every night, right. which has no taste. Uh, so again, the resources are there. You just have to commit yourself to try it and realizing you don't want to be on the short end of the stick when you go to the doctor and realize you've got some bad stuff going on and we should have woken up years earlier. Sure. Well, you know, give, I'm, I'm, I have a question. But I'm going to tell you a story. Yesterday, I got up at a 7 o'clock flight to New Orleans, spent the whole day. Of course, New Orleans food's not exactly locale. Uh, had a big lunch at a Chafalaya River Cafe Spent all day in meetings and had dinner last night at another fabulous restaurant and then caught a 10 o'clock flight home. So, right. you know, for basically uh, 19 hours, I was either on an airplane, in meetings, or dining. So talk about what we can do when folks, we do lead busier lives and how you're at a restaurant. What kind of things, you know, can you do to improve? I mean, they really don't make to order anymore. I mean, right. and I'm not going to pick on anybody, but most of the restaurants, you're going to get whatever's on the, I mean, you can ask for a few things, but right. it's like maybe take the capers off, but they're not going to say, oh, well, we'll, we'll do it in olive oil instead of whatever right. they're cooking. I, I would say the most important thing that, that we could all do it's the portion size. It's the amount of calories that we're taking in. Which, now, by the way, goes back to this very discussion we were having 10 years ago. And this is how Joe, after the the floor guy, the uh, <laughs> software guy, we're all giving health advice. Joe said, well, I don't know much about being a doctor. I am one. But let me tell you, it's all – and you, that's what you told us 10 years ago. It's calories yeah. in, calories out. Yeah. So. yeah. And so when you look at it, as soon as you sit down, what do they do? They either bring chips or they bring bread. Mm-hmm. As and, and you almost have to, whoever you're going out with, or if it's a deal you make with yourself, you have to say, we're going to this restaurant, I am going to decline the bread or the chips. Because, you know, we all become, yeah, it's like being a crack addict. Once right. that bread is there, it's the basket's <laughs> going to be empty. Right, Geraldine? Yeah, she's nodding her head. Yeah, she's seen that before. So you just have to say, no chips, no bread. Okay. If it uh, can you go without so, an so just as an example, how much would that improve from a calorie intake standpoint? Oh, probably probably several hundred. Okay, so if you're trying mild. to be on twenty five hundred a day, you could blow through five hundred just on a couple of pieces of bread, three pieces of bread, and butter, right? Yeah, bread, butter, oil. Sure. I mean, olive oil is good, but to a point, you know, you don't <laughs> want to just you know sop it up like uh, you know, like a sponge. And so you would stop there. Then you have to say, okay, the next phase is an appetizer. So is it, are we going to split an appetizer or do we get our own? And then you have to look and say, is there an appetizer that is not fried, maybe not breaded, not loaded in cheese, and get something a little bit more with, you know, sort of uh, sautéed vegetables or something along those lines. Then when it comes for the... the By the um, way, so you don't get any fighting words. I'm going to our friend Piatto's tonight. Yes. John Marion. So yes. I'm sitting here as you're telling the story, thinking, well, do, do crab claws have... Yeah. <laughs> is that good or bad? And should <laughs> I... So I'm not going to get the fried mozzarella That's tonight. Right. <laughs> Tell them to leave the Probably bread not going to get the else. fried calamari. Yes. I'm probably not going to get... <laughs> get the, the bruschetta would be great uh, at, at his place. <laughs> so the bruschetta. Uh, and then on, on the entree, I think there again, if if you could get... I would argue to say, 
a lot of places will say if they have asparagus, you could say just steamed. Don't add the salt or spinach. Don't add the salt and just sort of saute it in olive oil. Uh, but if you have a chance, uh, a choice of a baked potato versus mama's triple stuffed bacon sour cream mashed potato, go with the baked potato. Okay. Um, and uh, again, look for things that are fried, breaded, casseroles. Anything that's a casserole is just, uh, you know, uh, sort of secret language for heart attack. Heart attack. Happen. <laughs> uh, and, and, and go from there. And then, of course, the dessert is another four to 800 calories. Either avoid it or split it or get something that's fruit or a sherbet, something something along okay. like that. So so what is, and I know this is a one size doesn't fit all, but some, you know, I guess, I mean, if you were going to give bands, somebody who's between 50 and 65, should they be, what are they going to burn just in their natural lifestyle? And what should they really be? Should they be on 2,000 calories a day, 1,500, 2,500? Well, it does. It does. Uh, it, it's based on your your own metabolism and how active you are. But if you wanted a you know, a ballpark somewhere between 1,200 calories, 1,500 calories a day uh, to try to equal out. Once you start accumulating calories, then you're going to to gain weight. So the option is, A, burn more calories by being more active and amping up your metabolism while maintaining a certain calorie intake, or cut the calories and not do okay. much, much more, or a mix, a mix of the both. Uh, would be probably the best. And there are uh, certain, a little bit more sophisticated testing where your basal metabolic rate can be calculated. Some physician offices do this. A lot of health clubs around the country, you can go in and for probably $75 to $100, they'll do a metabolic panel on you and they will calculate exactly what your resting metabolism is and say, if you just sort of stay neutral, Jeb, you need... 975 calories a day mm -hmm. to be neutral. And then you sort of go from there and, you know, maybe get connected with a dietitian or a nutritionist and yeah. go from there. Cool. Um, can you do that for me when I come see you? I, I'll, I will get it done. <laughs> Put it down for me. So, okay, now the, really the million-dollar question for me, uh, wine or spirits? What is, is either less uh, well, from uh, a calor caloric standpoint? Calorie or? standpoint, probably some of the spirits have more sugar and calories in it mm. compared to wine or beer. Now, there are a lot of beers out there that are technically low-cal. Right. But the other, the other thing that makes me laugh in a respectful way with my patients is when we're talking about alcohol, since I am uh, uh, the liver guy here, <laughs> uh, the amount of alcohol in a beer, a shot, which is basically an ounce and a half of spirit, or wine is exactly the same. So people will come in and they may have some alcohol-related liver disease. And I'll say, okay, Bob, how much do you drink? And they say, I don't drink. Oh, I gave that up, you know, 15 years ago. I said, well, okay. He said, but, you know, I have a 12-pack of beer uh, <laughs> three times a week. And I'm like, so you don't think beer is alcohol? It's like, no, no. Oh, my God. And so, so another message that we're always talking about is that between beer, wine, and spirit, it's all the same amount of alcohol. So if you drink five shots a night, that's equivalent to the guy that's having five wines or okay. five beers. So just be careful on that. So, there's, so you don't really get any credit for doing one or the other. They're, they're, all, they're all equally uh, equally. Equal but offenders. again, you know, with, with the, with the, more with the spirit, and, and uh, now that we're in the, 
the era of mixology, and everybody's making these great mm. drinks nowadays. Uh, it's all the added sugar and the juices and you know foo foo stuff that mm. really adds to the calories. Well, again, it goes back to our cultural differences. I, you know, I can't tell you. It's amazing to me, and I'm not picking on any demographic. I'm just saying it's amazing to if I go get gas and I'm at the Exxon at Chimney Rock and I-10, and you see ten guys who just got off work, and everyone is buying a twelve pack. You're thinking, how in the? I mean, I can't drink like I used to for sure, yeah. uh, and thank God. Uh, but um, I mean, how in the world is that going to have a good outcome? And no. th- and these are people in their twenties and thirties that you know, twenty years from now, either you or you know, God willing, you won't be doing it. But maybe because yeah. you'll be retired. But maybe there's going to be somebody else saying, Joe was setting me up for this business because these people are all coming in. Yeah. Twenty. They. I mean, it, you don't just get sick. You eat, like you said in the book. You eventually. It's a. It's a accumulation of right. bad habits over a long period of time. You don't get cirrhosis because you had too many drinks one night. No, you have no, no. A whole bunch of drinks over time. Yeah, and that that. Gosh, I mean, that is a good point. And I see people every single day where their alcohol intake history is. Six beers every night. Now, they're not drinking in the morning. They're not going through mm-hmm. withdrawal, that you would think. They seem to be working fine. They're not getting in trouble with the law or or at work. But they come home 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. They will have six, eight, ten beers, go to sleep, and start all over again. Which and is probably the worst time at all to be putting yeah, those... You're going to bed on a full stomach. Yeah, I mean, gosh. Uh, but the... the uh, and what everybody will say is, he seemed fine. She seemed fine. She's like employee of the month, <laughs> you know. But it's like, right? But you're sitting here with me now, right, exactly. you know. And, and so, uh, you know, okay, I'll I'll recognize employee of the month, but you're also patient of the month, right? Absolutely. You know. So it and and with liver disease and so many other things, we know high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. People, I think everybody in their own specialty, they have the catchphrase, silent killer. Mm. So hypertension, high blood pressure, silent killer. Kidney disease, silent killer. Liver disease, silent killer. I think the bottom line here is if you, the consumer, are waiting for a pain, an ache, something not to work, and say, okay, now I'll go in, you are you are going to be wrong probably 95% of the time. And so once something starts acting up, it's almost, not that it's too late, but it's so far gone that you look back and you say, man, I should have done something or stopped, you know, five, 10 years ago. Sure. Well, um, and that kind of brings me back to what you do, and that is I'm assuming that most GPs, family practitioners, aren't doing the in-depth stuff on fatty liver disease. So if, if Joe Smith is going in for his, should he be asking his doctor, are you doing, are you looking at these things? I mean, I, I know I just had my physical and Bert came back. And of course, my question about, because of my, our friendship is always about, well, how's the liver, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And of course, I always thought, frankly, part, part of the day that it was much more driven by alcohol consumption. I didn't right. realize it was equally yeah. tied to other things. So, is there something people should be talking sure. to their physician about and saying, hey, and, and is there a family history of this stuff, or is this yeah. all almost no, no, no. all There's, driven by? No, there, there are uh, uh, family-related uh, liver ish- issues that we see all the time. But I, I would say for, the, for, for those listening now, if you have any elevation of your liver chemistries, the, and these are on the standard screening blood work, that needs to be carefully 
looked at, needs to be worked up. And and again, another misunderstanding, Jeb, is that their family physician has this built-in threshold to say, you know what, Jeb, they're elevated, but not that bad. That is a totally bogus approach to this. Any elevation, any elevation of the liver chemistries is abnormal, number one. Number two, if you are overweight and you have diabetes or pre-diabetes and you have cholesterol issues, high blood pressure, you are, uh, there's probably better than a 75% chance you are harboring a fatty liver. Are you going to feel bad? No. Are you going to notice anything different? Probably not. But if you have these elevated liver chemistries and you have that profile, we call it metabolic syndrome, you need to be worked up. The initial workup, besides blood work and a physical exam, taking the history, how much alcohol, your diet and whatnot, would probably be to get an ultrasound of the liver. It's relatively relatively inexpensive, no radiation, and uh, you could get that done. And from there, if you do have a fatty liver, you then need to find out uh, what are your risk factors, uh, which we just talked about, and then are you on the road to developing fibrosis or scar tissue? Mm -hmm. And that's many times that's where we come in, that we will tease out the cases that are less problematic and those that really need help. And can you reverse that process if you do those things? You can. The great thing is that with weight loss and the, the research probably the last 10 years, has shown that a 10% drop in your current body weight is enough to reduce the inflammation in the liver and reverse the scar tissue. Now, 10% may not be uh, the only weight you want to lose. You probably need to lose more than 10%, but 10% is that first hurdle that we'd like to get you to. Mm -hmm. So it is reversible, and this is what I tell everybody. You don't have to go down that dark road and develop more advanced liver disease. Ten, change your weight, change your diet, you could do it. Well, one of the things I've seen, because uh, you, you are almost as prolific on Facebook as I am, is, you know, holding up pans. And how many folks you all have done um, liver transplants yes. for? People 12, 15, 17 years. I'm, I'm quite sure that's not how you want to get extended life out of your patients. But it is nice to know that you've had great outcomes in those things. But, I mean, it... Is, is are those people are those people you watched for some period of time that all of a sudden tipped over? Oh, sure. Or are they people that came in already in some kind of stress situation? Yeah, it's the it's the full gamut. I you know I've been here uh, in Houston twenty eight years, uh, and so I have a lot of patients that I've known the entire time that I've been here, and only now after. 20 plus years, are they getting to the point where they need a transplant? Mm-hmm. So it really is the full gamut where people uh, we watch for a long time, others over a year decompensate and get real sick. And then others, we get a phone call now and they're air flighted in mm-hmm. here and, and they're, in, they're in stress. And so, but I, the message here is that the majority of this is what I like to call the slow burn. This is a slow burn. This is over time, years or even decades that somebody has had a particular habit or a problem that just really wasn't fully addressed. Mm-hmm. Well, well, uh, I'm glad to have you in my life. I can tell you, I'm <laughs> not sure. I, I'm not sure. It's I'm mutual, a very Jeff. responsive <laughs> patient. I'm not sure I do everything you tell me, but at least I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And um, first of all, again, tell everybody where they can get the book and what the title and yeah. how, how the best way to get it. So it's uh, eating yourself sick, and the uh, sort of the subtitle here: How to Stop Obesity fatty liver, and diabetes from killing you and your family. So it's an ominous uh, sort of title. 
The easiest way would be to go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble uh, online to pick it up. If you come by my office, for whatever reason, we've got them there. Uh, but Perfect. online is the best way. Uh, great. Let me tell you, there's some great anecdotal stories you've talked about your family and how you all uh, had that. I mean, it's 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 not, believe me, it, uh, he is, it is ominous in the sounding of the title, but the book is actually a very good read because, one, I think you're a great writer, and two, I think you do a great job of engaging the reader in, in real, you're showing real life stories about how these things can be impacted. It's not, yeah. just, you know. And I, uh, when, when I put it together, I had the idea that each chapter was going to start with a, a patient story. And these were real patients. The names were changed to protect the innocents. <laughs> uh, and, and the other part is growing up in New York in a pretty typical New York Italian family. A lot of that really wore off on me from my mother. And the beginning of the book, we talk about family, faith, and food. And what she instilled in all of us, and she absolutely loved number one cooking. She realized that one of the most important things that she did as a, as a parent, along with my dad, was to feed us not not gorgeous, not stuff us, but create meals that were helpful by hand. and And she really felt like this was art that she was doing. And the joy that we would have, and and to this day, years and years later, the kids from the the old neighborhood on Long Island that I'm still in touch with, they will say some of the fondest memories of growing up was sitting at Mrs. Galati's kitchen table <laughs> and how she would hover over them and not only serve the food but look for that reaction mm. to say, "Wow, you know, this is really good stuff." Mm. And so the family faith in food. It's the the family, of course, is key. We need to rebuild and be respectful of the nuclear family. Uh, even though things are changing, we have to strive for that. Faith, of course, we are Catholic, and regardless of your religious affiliation, that faith that is the glue that keeps our culture together and one another together. And then food. We have to place food on a higher pedestal for our own mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health, and keep us out of the doctor's office, make money, and have fun, Jeb. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. It's been great having you. I'm laughing when you tell that story. I, uh, as you know, Laurel's been up in um, Chicago with her mom. Uh -huh. She called me that night. She said, what are you watching? I said, she, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching The Godfather. She goes, how many times have you seen it? I said, I don't know, nine 10,000 times. And yeah. she said, what is it you love about that show? And I said, the family. You know, the family. It's when, right. when, even when the gangsters are cooking the sauces together and cleaning their guns and getting ready to go out for the big fight. I mean, yeah. it, there's a true family unit there, you know, and it's great fun to watch. And, and of course, as you said, part of the – it's a social uh, aspect of the cooking, too, as a family and having – and as you said, yeah. when you have somebody, you pick this tomorrow's meal and, you know, Bobby, you pick tomorrow's. I think that gives them buy-in to what – and so – Maybe it's more fun than saying, okay, it, we're all going to eat, you know, no, no, blanched it, vegetables today. You yeah, know? no, it is. And what I tell patients, and, and Geraldine here uh, can agree, if, if I am home alone and cooking, I usually have my favorite soundtrack blaring. <laughs> now, it may be sort of 70s rock, but it may be Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and I am just listening to this music, and I am in an absolute zone. And so I tell patients, have fun. This should really be an uplifting uh, time for you. Pick 10, 15, 20 of your favorite songs. My God, on Spotify or any of these programs, mm -hmm. you can make your own, your own playlist up. And get into it. Put songs that make you happy. 
get your kids, get your loved ones together, and have fun in the kitchen. That is what it's all about. Fantastic. I agree with you 110%. Joe, thanks for coming. Thank Geraldine, you, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Jeb Bashaw. This is a Texans View of the World. We've had Dr. Joe Galati. Joe, tell them how they can reach you in the office and your uh, your web address. Sure. The easiest thing is drjoegalati.com, drjoegalati.com. And uh, that everything there links to the office Links to the book, links to our radio program. And your show, the show is what time? It's uh, on uh, Sunday evening at 7 p.m., 7.40 KTRH. It's your health Keep tuned right here. To keep tuning right. Uh, sports, weather, and Astros. Is that the thing? <laughs> and actually, we're going to be on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM starting in the next few weeks on a regular basis. So if you're an XM subscriber, look on the Catholic Channel for me. Fantastic. They will do it. All right, drjogalati.com. I'm Jeb Bashaw, Texans View of the World. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjogalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.